When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody out there in podcast land, this is Chris, the public safety guru, bringing you another exciting EMT lecture. Well, it's probably not that exciting since we're going to be talking about patient assessment with vital signs. So get those thinking caps on, pencil and paper, 3x5 cards, and let's get ready to learn. In this lecture, we're going to be talking about assessment and treatment of patients. So, First up, we'll be seeing size up with BSI, and I'll explain BSI a little bit more. The primary assessment, secondary assessment, which includes history and physical with vitals, and then reassessment. All right, we're going to be talking about seeing size up, and we'll get a little bit more detailed about that in just a minute. The next category is going to be primary assessment, which will be your initial assessment, and this is critical management and transport decisions. Your next category, secondary assessment, will consist of focus history and physical, unresponsive medical, major trauma patients, focus history and physical of responsive medical and minor trauma patients, and then the detailed physical exam, which is the management of specific problems or injury, and then last but not least, reassessment, which is your ongoing ongoing assessment. Sounds like a lot right now, but we'll be breaking this down into little chunks so we can uh, eat and digest this animal. By now, we have various different tools in our toolbox. One of those is the history of the patient utilizing the acronym SAMPLE. SAMPLE history stands for signs and symptoms, allergies slash age, weight, and sex, medications, pertinent medical history, last oral intake, and events surrounding the incident. Now we also have another tool called OPQRST. When I was in medic school, we learned it as PQRST. So I'm going to assume somewhere down the line, someone was forgetting to ask onset, and then we had to add the O to our acronym. For those of you that are in my EMT program, you know I love making fun of the fire service, so I'm just going to assume some firefighter paramedic forgot to ask onset and we needed to add it. JK, hashtag JK, only trying to make my podcast funny and interesting so you guys don't fall asleep, so don't be all complaining or getting feelings. So O stands for onset, P stands for provoke or palliation, and palliation, I'm sorry, quality, What does the pain feel like? R is for region, radiation, and reoccurrence. S is for severity, severity, and T is for time. Now what's neat about this acronym is we can also use it for shortness of breath, not just chest pain. Everything stays the same except for Q, which under quality, we're gonna ask our patients, is it harder to get air in or out? Another tool we have is the Glasgow Coma Scale. So this is a three by five card. You're gonna need to memorize it. It is something that's utilized by paramedics on every call with every patient. They have to put together a scale. They gotta have a scale for their patient. 
So remember, eye-opening, spontaneous is a four, to voice is a three, to pain is a two, and no response is a one. Under verbal response, orientated is a five, confused is a four, inappropriate words is a three, and incomprehensible words is a two, and then no response is a one. Under motor response, obeys commands is a six, localizes is five, withdrawals is four, flexion is three, extension is two, and then no movement is a one. I'm not a really big fan of the Glasgow Coma Scale, but it's what we have to use because I always say even a rock gets a three. Now, in other counties besides Los Angeles, they really like to use DCAP BTLS. Um, we're starting to use this in LA County, or, or we have been using it for several years, but when I initially went to EMT and paramedic school, we did not use DCAP BTLS. So let's talk about what that stands for. So for D, this is deformities. C's is contusions, A's abrasions, P's are punctures and penetrations, B's are burns, T's is tenderness, L's are laceration, and S is for swelling. Let's jump into vital signs for a quick second. This is part of your secondary assessment for the most part. Vital signs are things that we are going to assess and this includes a blood pressure, which could be auscultated or palpated. Eyes, we're going to be checking to see if they're pearl, size, equality, reaction to light. Level of consciousness, responsiveness using ABPU or orientation, purse, place, and person, place, or time. Lung sounds, are they clear, clear bilaterally? Skin signs, what's the color, what's the temp, moisture, and turgor of the skin. Respirations, rate, rhythm, quality, depth, what kind of effort are they exhibiting? And the pulse, rate, rhythm, quality, and strength. So I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit, especially when it comes to blood pressure. I am not a big fan of computerized blood pressure machines. I know it's what we have on the EKG monitors and so forth. It's a very popular device associated with paramedic level equipment. But I'm a big fan of actually physically listening to a blood pressure there are going to be paramedics that are going to tell you, oh, you can't get a blood pressure in the back of a moving ambulance. B.S. Yes, you can. you got to develop this skill by doing it over and over again. A paramedic who cannot get a blood pressure in a moving ambulance is a lazy paramedic. They never learn to do it. So you have an opportunity as an EMT, it's your ambulance, to take a blood pressure on every one of your patients when that ambulance is moving, and you will learn to develop this trait as well as the EMTs that work for me when I'm working as a paramedic know they better not put my patient on that computerized blood pressure cuff. I want a manual blood pressure. To me, this is the best way you can ascertain if you have a good blood pressure as well as it gives you an opportunity to touch your patient. You get the skin signs. Are they warm and dry? You also start to build a relationship with your patient by actually physically touching them. So very, this is very important. When I was in my paramedic training, my preceptor gave me two words or, or two pieces of advice. He told me skin signs never lie and lung sounds never lie. So if you have a patient who is warm and dry, guess what? We have time. 
but they're pale, cool, diaphoretic, they're circling the drain, and we need to do something for them. Primarily, the first thing is give them some oxygen, since most likely they're in shock. And then lung sounds. If their lung sounds are clear, guess what? We have some time. If they're wet, then we got to get moving. So these are some of the first vital signs I like to get, but once again, everyone develops their own assessment after they get out of EMT or paramedic school. Just make sure that you are checking the most important vital signs in that initial assessment when you conduct it. On the majority of your conscious patients, you should be able to get a radio pulse, or at least that's the pulse you should be going to first. For those patients that are, have an altered level of consciousness or are totally unconscious, a carotid pulse is where you should be trying to get that first initial pulse. If you're currently in an EMT program, I'm going to venture to say that you have some type of skills component to your class. This is when you need to be practicing taking that radio pulse, the carotid pulse, and that pedal pulse. If you're standing around the room talking with another student about what happened at yesterday's baseball game, um, you're wasting your time. Okay, This is the time to practice on everybody. You should be practicing on people who are large frame, small frame, as it, some people are easier to get, some people are harder to get. This is how you challenge yourself. Now let's switch over to respirations. On respirations, what are we looking for? Well, we're looking for rate, rhythm, quality, and tidal volume, essentially the depth of their respirations. For the normal adult, we breathe 12 to 20 times a minute. Anything slower is bradyhypnia. Anything fa faster is tachypnea. Now remember, we don't go and tell our patient, hey, I'm going to check your respirations right now, so are you ready? The minute you lead on that you are going to be looking at your patient for respirations, they're going to alter their breathing. So pretend to be taking that pulse for an extra 30 seconds and you'll get the respirations. Remember, we're looking for rise and fall of the chest and we're looking to see if the patient has any type of effort where they're breathing because breathing should look effortless. Now lung sounds are one of my vital signs I'd love to get right away. But sometimes we don't even need to use a stethoscope to get lung sounds because we can hear them across the room, such as with wheezing. But lung sounds, there's two types. They're audible and auscultated. Okay, audible is what we hear as we're walking up to the patient, and auscultated is using your stethoscope. I like to take four lobes, two at the top, two at the bases on the back, and then go axillary on both sides. So I listen to lungs six, time, six different times. This is a good practice, but at a very minimum, the minimal check, according to most textbooks, is axillary. You should be comparing both sides. That's why we come up with the term bilateral. The patient's lung sounds are clear bilaterally. Tells us that both sides are, are equal and clear. What are we assessing for? We're assessing, assessing to see if the lung sounds are normal, noisy, diminished, or absent. And as we know from previous lectures, you can have wheezing, strider, crackles, which could be a subcategory with rails and ronchi in that subcategory, and then snoring and gurgling. Now, unfortunately, most private ambulance companies are not utilizing pulse ox as a, a piece of equipment inside of the ambulance. However, if you are rolling with the fire department, you will be using their pulse ox. The magic number remember is 94%. If no shortness of breath, no shock, no hypothermia, no ALOC, no oxygen if above 94. 
But if you have any one of those conditions, despite the fact that it's 94, you should start considering oxygen. Skin signs. We're looking for color, temperature, and moisture. So on the color part, we could have cyanotic, pale, jaundice, flushed, ashen, and mottled. Temperature, warm, hot, cool, cold, cold, and moisture, dry, moist, diaphoretic. Responsiveness and awareness. Here we can use AFPU. Are they A, alert, V, what's their verbal response, P, are they only responsive to painful stimuli, or U, are they unresponsive? Under orientation, we want to know, do they know their name, do they know where they're at, and they know what time of day it is, or at least the event. With pupils, we're looking to see if the pupils are pearl. Pupils equal reactive to light. That's what pearl stands for. So we can have pupils that are constricted, we can have pupils that are dilated, as well as pupils being unequal. And then there's a host of other things. Are they sluggish, unreactive, the various different things that can go along with that vital sign. When we're assessing pupils, we're assessing them, assessing the pupils for size, equality, reaction to light. And remember, pupils are a window to the brain. It's associated with the ocular motor nerve. What nerve is that? Hmm, we'll get back to you on that. That is something you should have memorized, right? That would be the third cranial nerve. I got to get some, like, maybe some special effects going here. Mm, uh, let's explain blood pressure now. What is blood pressure? Okay, so you're going to learn how to put a blood pressure cuff around someone's bicep. You're going to pump it up. You're going to have the stethoscope right there in the fold of the arm, and you're going to be listening for the first heartbeat. That first heartbeat is the top number, which is called the systolic. And then you're going to keep listening, and you're going to boom, 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 boom. And when you last, that last beat and you'll hear no more is your diastolic. But for those of you in my class, I have that Austin Powers thing. So what does it all mean, Basil, right? I actually do a better impression in class, so I do apologize that if you're listening to my podcast. What this all means is this. Picture your artery. It's sitting there doing nothing, and all of a sudden your heart beats. Your artery expands. Well, that expansion is the systolic Force of blood against the arteries when ventricles contract. So that's systole. So your your artery is going wide open. So it's wide open at 120. And then it relaxes. Well, that's the diastolic. And that's the force of blood against the arteries when ventricles relax. Diastole. So your heart beats. Boom. Your artery opens up. That's your systolic number. And then goes back down. That's your diastolic number. This is what it does with every heartbeat. Hence the reason why with hypertension, if, you, if you're going from 120 from that top number and all of a sudden your top number is now 220, you could see that now we're damaging the artery to the, or, arter, or arteries to the point that this hypertensive crisis could cause someone to have a stroke or essentially an aneurysm. So that's why high blood pressure is treated so aggressively because you cannot maintain that high blood pressure for a long period of time. For your own edification and possible national registry testing, pulse pressure is the difference between the systolic value and diastolic value. 
This plays an important role in head injuries and chest injuries. I want you to remember this for testing purposes. Pulse pressure is the difference between the systolic value and diastolic value. Three by five card, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't blood pressure. This is pulse pressure. Pulse pressure. Fortunately for me, once again, I had a great preceptor. And one of the things that I never learned in paramedic school, but you're going to learn today, are the pulses and perfusion, otherwise known as the 80-70-60 rule. So I want you to think about this. If you feel for someone's radial pulse, at a very minimum, their systolic blood pressure is at 80. Now, if you can't feel that one and you feel for a brachial or femoral pulse, their systolic blood pressure is at 70. And if you can't feel that one and you go for a carotid, the carotid blood pressure is at a minimum 60. So that gives us the 80-70-60 rule. It's something to remember, especially with our trauma victims, because if we can't get in there and get a blood pressure, at a very minimum, I should try for a radio. And if I can't fill for that one, then I go for the brachial. If I can't fill for that one, I go for the carotid. All right. That was a lot of stuff. So let's kind of wrap it up with some test questions. What do we need to obtain for the pulse? A, rate only. B, rate and rhythm. C, rhythm and quality only, D, rate, rhythm, and quality. Well, once again, if you ever, you're in EMT class. All right, I'm not going to edit that noise out. I'm just going to be too hard. But you're in an EMT class. We don't like the word only. We have a lot of things we can do for our patients, so remember that. So that's the first one you're going to throw out. So the answer is going to be D, rate, rhythm, and quality. What do we need to obtain for respirations? A, rate only, so that's a bad answer. B, rate and rhythm. C, rate, rhythm, and tidal volume or depth. Or D, rhythm and tidal volume only. Once again, we don't like the word only. We are not an only type of occupation. So the answer is C, rate, rhythm, and tidal volume. By now, you should have had several lectures that talked about wheezing. So what does wheezing represent? Does it represent A, fluid in the lungs, B, excessive mucus in the lungs, D, bronchospasm, or D, fluid in the upper airway? If you answered C, bronchospasm, you would be correct. I want you to remember this. Your overall patient assessment consists of these four things. Scene size up with BSI, primary assessment, secondary assessment, which consists of history and physical with vitals, and four, reassessment. Now we're going to be breaking these down. The first thing that we do on all calls is BSI, body substance isolation. Body substance isolation is our personal protective equipment. It is getting ready to treat our patients. We're obviously going to be wearing latex gloves, but are we going to need goggles? Are we going to need a HEPA filter mask? Are we going to need to wear a gown? So that's what all our calls consist of, BSI. Don't forget that, okay? BSI is separate. It has to deal with your personal safety. There's test questions to talk about, well, what are you going to do first? And you're going to say, well, I should have, I'm looking for the number of patients. That's later. BSI deals with you and your partner first. 
So remember that for testing purposes. This is your personal protective equipment, what you need to do to keep yourself safe from harmful things out there. After BSI, we're then going to perform a scene size up. We perform scene size up by using Penman, and scene size up starts when you get dispatched to the call because we are getting certain information to prepare us for the call we're right about to go on. In that, we use the acronym, the acronym Penman. P stands for Personal, Partner, and Patient Safety. E, Environmental Hazards, i.e. Heat, Rain, Snow. N, Number of Patients. M, Mechanism of Injury or Nature of Illness. A, Additional Resources, Specialized Equipment. And N, Need for Extrication, Spinal Mobilization. This is Penman. I would suggest 3x5 card and you memorize this. It will help you for testing purposes, not just in your class, but also in National Registry. And you will see it again in your paramedic programs. All right, folks, we've been going for about 20 minutes now. It's a good place to take a break, and as this is a long lecture. All right, we'll get started in just a few minutes. So we've talked about BSI and scene size up. We're now going to be talking about primary assessment. For those of you that are in my class, you need to break out your patient assessment flow chart. This is going to be the meat and potatoes of this lecture. For those of you that are not in my program, I will be uploading a copy for you at www.thepublicsafetyguru.com. You'll find this form under the guides and form section. It's there for you, so download it and use it however you need to use it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we're going to first talk about general impression of the primary assessment. This is the first thing we do. The reason why general impression is the first thing we do is because we're walking in to our patient. So it doesn't matter if it's a medical or a trauma, you're going to be looking at your patient. What general assessment are you going to make? Just by looking at your patient, you're going to be able to decide what their approximate age is, their sex, the position they're found, what the mechanism of injury could be, maybe even the nature of the illness, and any life threats or major disabilities. So once again, like in my class, I always tell my students, the first thing you do is BSI. After BSI is done, then scene survey utilizing Penman. Then after that, it is general impression. Now next, we're going to be with that general impression. Part of this is determining the responsiveness of the patient. Are they alert? Are they responsive to verbal only, painful only, only? Are they unresponsive? We're doing this all at one time within 10 to 15 seconds at the very most. As we make contact with the patient, we're then going to obtain that consent. Hello, sir, ma'am, I am paramedic so-and-so, and I'm here to help you. Do I have permission to go ahead and render you, um, evaluate you, render medical attention, whatever, how you want to do it? The books will say that you should introduce yourself, ask your patient for their name, ask them what their chief complaint is, essentially why they called 911, and 
obtain consent to look at the complaint. At this point, we're now going to do our ABCs. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I say A is first. We first fix A. If A is fixed, then we move to B, breathing. If breathing is fixed, then we move to C, circulation. And if circulation is fixed, then we move to the rest of the alphabet where we get to check for disabilities and deformities. E, we expose the patient, we visualize, we palpate, we deal with that chief complaint. F, we formulate the field impression. And then I, we identify priority patients and make transport decisions. So let's break that up a little bit easier for us. Okay, we're going to start from the beginning. BSI, then scene survey. After these two things are done, we're going into our primary assessment, which starts with general impression. Determine your patient's conscious or unconscious. As we walk up, if they're conscious, get that consent. If they're unconscious, we're going to apply implied consent. We're going to apply implied consent. And then A, airway. Is their airway open or not? If it's not open, we're going to utilize the head tilt chin lift if we don't suspect any type of trauma, or the jaw thrust if we want to protect the spinal cord. If Once airway is open and we don't have any problems there, then we're going to move to breathing. Breathing, we're doing our assessment. Fast, slow, regular, irregular, shallow, deep. If we find no problems here or we don't have to breathe for our patient, then we're going to move to C and we're going to see what their circulations are. Circulation is like, how's their cap refill? Do we see any obvious bleeding? How's the pulse? Fast, slow, regular, irregular, strong, weak. And at this point in time, what their skin signs are like, color, temp, moisture. And once we get this done and everything is okay, then we can go ahead and check to see if they have any disabilities, deformities, deal with their chief complaint. If it's a broken leg, we're going to visualize it. If it's chest pain, we're going to keep moving on. Then we're going to formulate that field depression. Do we have any life or death uh, situations that uh, we haven't dealt with already or that need to be dealt with immediately? And then we're going to decide the priority of the patient. Are we going to go code three, code two? Um, you know, this is like, like that Clash song, should I stay or should I go? Is, it, is this patient so critical that I need to load and go and do, and do all my stuff in the back of the ambulance? Or is this where I have some time and I can go ahead and treat them at the scene? All things that you're going to think about regarding that patient assessment. Now, before we jump into secondary assessment, I want to talk about an acronym that is utilized sometimes called COPS. C stands for capillary refill, O for obvious bleeding, P for pulse, which you're looking for fast, slow, regular, irregular, weak, or strong, and S for skin signs, color, temp, and moisture. Just another acronym to think about. So if you see COPS on a test, you want to at least know what it stands for. Cap refill, obvious bleeding, pulse, and skin signs. As you're completing this primary assessment, remember, we are looking for the early signs of shock, which consist of anxiousness, restlessness, tachypnea, tachycardia, pale, cool, moist skin, and nausea and vomiting. At the end of the primary assessment, we should be able to identify the priority of our patient. This is going to be based on a few things. Is there a significant mechanism of injury or nature of illness? Are there signs of shock? Is there obvious life-threatening emergencies? Is the airway uncontrollable? 
We're ventilating the patient, but it's manageable, such as with a BVM or intubation tube. Is there uncontrolled bleeding? Are we doing CPR? Are they having any type of cardiac problem, such as a MI or a stroke? These are what I would consider priority patients. Now, this last part to the primary assess- assessment transport decision, there's a lot of various things that we take into account. But once again, don't get overwhelmed because you are really going to start to put all of this together as you see people who are really sick and people who are not really sick. There's going to be those situations where the paramedics are going to ride with you because your patient's ALS, and then there's going to be those incidents where they're going to ship the patient with you because it's BLS. So we have... As a paramedic, I have a, I have a choice. Am I going to be an, is this going to be an ALS transport or a BLS transport? Are we going to transport the patient code two or code three? Uh, what's going to be our destination? Do we have to go to a facility that's equipped for a STEMI or a stroke? Or are we going to go to a trauma center? And then are we going to go by air or ground ambulance? And then when we have trauma, we have the whole golden hour thing going on, which we will talk about that more in trauma. But just to give you a tidbit. The first 20 minutes of a call, this is discover, This is considered the discovery of incident and activation of EMS. So this is that 20-minute window. Then we have 10 minutes, which is considered that platinum 10, which 10 minutes, is where the EMT and paramedic do the initial assessment, intervention, and packaging. Imagine that, packaging up your patient in 10 minutes. And then that gives us 30 minutes for the EMS transport and initial hospital stabilization. That golden hour is considered the hour that we need to get the patient to the doctors if they are going to survive. Now, if I was going to wrap all of this up for you in my class, this is what your primary assessment is. General impression, ABPU with airway, breathing, circulation, and then disabilities and deformities. Remember, we first fix A. However you need to fix A, you fix it. When that is fixed, we go to B for breathing. You fix breathing. If it's you have to clear an airway because somebody has an obstructed airway or they're not breathing and you have to do rescue breathing, whatever you need to do, put them on a mask, 15 liters by oxygen, we fix their breathing. Once we fix breathing, we go to C, circulation. And once we fix that, then we get to play. I know I've been repeating myself, but once again, you are going to have a host of questions that are going to challenge you on your knowledge on what to do. If you use the Chris Cano test reading algorithm, you know the first answer you always look for on any test that asks you what you're going to do is BSI. After BSI, it is scene size up. After scene size up, then it's general impression. And after general impression, it's ABCs. And if you don't have any answer regarding any of those that I just talked about, then it's probably going to have to do with treatment. This should help you to take your rest of your test as well as your final exam and national registry. All right, we're now going to jump into secondary assessment. Secondary assessment, we are going to be looking for minor or major trauma, unresponsive or altered medical, and responsive medical. And we're going to put these categories together, and hopefully I'm going to put it in a way that you can understand it. Right now, I want you to take a sheet of paper, and I want you to divide the paper in half. And on the left side, I want you to put responsive medical slash minor trauma. On the right side, I want you to put major trauma unresponsive medical. 
if you have your flow chart, and then that's all you need because that's what this is. Now, on your flow chart, right in front of you for the responsive medical and minor trauma, after we have done that primary assessment and now we're moving to that secondary assessment, we need to decide if our patient is responsive medical slash minor trauma or major trauma slash unresponsive medical. So we're going to stay on the left side of that chart for now. If we have a patient who is responsive medical and minor trauma, the next thing we're going to do is we're essentially, I like to say, we're going to get to know our patient. It's like, I want to get to know you. I want to know if you like long walks on the beach, what you like for dessert. This is where we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of what's wrong with our patient. I have a lot of time on my hands, so let's talk. Let's become friends. You got to think of this side as that. So with that, we're going to get our sample history. While we're getting our sample history, we are going to also, depending on what's wrong with them, we're going to utilize OPQRST if necessary, if it's any type of chest pain or shortness of breath. And then from there, we're going to get our vitals, which include blood pressure, pupils, lung sounds, level of consciousness, skin signs, respiration, and pulse. And then last, you're going to do a pertinent body check. So let me give you the scenario medical-wise. This is the chest pain patient who is ANO3. They know their name, they know how old they are, and they know where they're at. You're able to ascertain all that information from them. So they are going to be responsive medical. We're going to stay on this side. Hey, I want to get to know you. What's going on with you? When did this start? What's it feel like? Does it go anywhere? Blah, 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 blah. That's this. Now, minor trauma. This is that kid that falls off their bicycle and scrapes their knee. This is the person who's playing basketball. He goes up to do the shot, comes down, lands on his foot wrong and breaks his ankle. Well, we don't have to do any type of major trauma assessment on this person because they're ANO3 with a GCF, GCS of 465 and they're able to tell us what's going on. So they can say, yeah, you know what? My shoulder's killing me. Well, then we can do a pertinent body check or a focused exam on that body part, on the ankle. We don't have to guess what's going on because the patient's capable of telling us exactly what hurts. So that's why this is considered responsive medical and minor trauma. Now on the right side or flip side of this, we have major trauma and unresponsive medical. So let's just talk about major trauma. Major trauma is exactly what it sounds like. It's major trauma. Okay, someone got into a bad car accident. You have someone who was ejected out of a vehicle. They took a significant fall. They were on a motorcycle. This is all going to be really determined by you. So if it looks major trauma, then keep it on this side. So let's, before we get into unresponsive medical, let's just talk about major trauma. Well, actually, let's talk about both right now. Regardless of which one you have, you are going to conduct a rapid medical or trauma assessment. This is a head-to-toe, front-to-back, 60-to-90 assessment. A rapid medical slash trauma assessment is designed to find the life-threatening emergencies that are going to kill your patient now. Remember that. A Rapid medical trauma assessment is to find those life-threatening emergencies that need immediate correction. Do not forget this. It's tested both on your block exams, your final exam, and national registry. 
at this point in time, once we've conducted this assessment, we're going to get our vital signs and then possibly some history utilizing sample. We could use OPQRST if our chief complaint is pain or shortness of breath. From there, once we have dealt with the emergency, we're then going to move to a detailed physical exam. This is our head to toe where we check the head, the neck, chest, abdomen, pelvis, legs, arms, back. We can utilize DCAP BTLS, deal with the specific issues such as a femur fracture, tip fib, whatever may be going on. But we will be doing this en route to the medical facility. So remember that the detailed physical exam is, we're gonna eventually get to this, but we were dealing with the life-threatening stuff first, and we'll get to this stuff if we can. I can tell you right now, in the field, I had several trauma patients or even medical patients had other things going on that I never got to because it was the life-threatening emergencies that I was dealing with. Now, to put someone in this category, major trauma, you just got to think major trauma, okay? So let's not make this more complicated. Now, what I want to get to you, what I want to talk to you about is this is what I see students mess up on is unresponsive medical. For some reason, you think that this person has to be unconscious. No, unresponsive is unresponsive. How can someone be unresponsive? Well, they could be looking directly at you and not responding to your words or your um, your direction. I always throw people and give this people this uh, uh, situation. You have someone, they're playing basketball, they go up for the shot, they come back down, they fracture an ankle. Pretty simple. Normally, they would be on the minor trauma side. But you go to talk to them. Hey, sir, what's your name? It's John. John, how old are you? Oh, I'm uh, 52. Hey, uh, what happened to you today? Um, I don't know. You don't know what happened to you today, John? No. Well, John, you have a, uh, looks like you have a fractured ankle. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know how that happened. That's un that's unresponsive medical. They're on the major trauma unre unresponsive medical side. Even though they're talking to you, even though they knew their name and their age, they were they did not know something, and we need to figure out why they have quote unquote a altered level of consciousness. So remember that unresponsive medical doesn't mean they're knocked out. It just means they're not being responsive to your questions or directions. If you're in my program, you're going to be practicing all of these skills as well as learning how to do a head-to-toe exam. For those of you that are not in my program, I would either challenge you to do the skills in your program or at least go to YouTube and find a, a video about uh, doing a head-to-toe physical exam. There are plenty out there. Now, the last part of this to put it all together is the reassessment. You have to remember that we will re reassess our patients, our critical patients, every five minutes and our non-critical every 15 minutes. And that includes a full set of vital signs. And once again, like you learned in the first few lectures, we write everything down. If you didn't write it down, it did not happen. So we're done with the information part of our lecture. This next part is some test questions that should help you on your block exam, your final exam, and your national registry. But before we jump into that, let's go ahead and take a break as we're coming up back on to our another 20-minute mark. And I like to take breaks every 20 minutes on these podcasts. So let's do that, and we'll come on back, and let's answer some test questions. All right, welcome back. Here's your first test question. A 43-year-old woman is complaining of traumatic abdominal pain. Your assessment of her chief complaint would include A, percussion and palpation of the abdomen and vital signs, 
B, inspecting for trauma, auscultating bowel sounds, and palpating the abdomen. C, inspection for trauma, auscultating breast sounds, and vital signs. Or D, palpating the abdomen, inspecting for trauma, and vital signs. If you chose D, you would be right. Now let's go back to A, percussion. Have I taught you percussion? No, I have not, so that would not be an answer. B, inspecting for trauma, auscultating bowel sounds. Have we talked about bowel sounds? Do you know what normal bowel sounds sound like? Well, I sure don't. That's a doctor or nurse level stuff, so that would not be the answer. So we got to choose C or D. D is our best answer. Next question. A detailed head-to-toe, front-to-back physical exam is most appropriate for A, a patient over the age of 16, B, the medical patient who is responsive, C, a trauma patient without a significant mechanism of injury, or D, the trauma patient who is unresponsive. Remember that, head-to-toe, front-to-back, that's our quick assessment. So the answer here is D, the trauma patient who is unresponsive. Next question. A 52-year-old man trips while walking and falls on his shoulder. His only complaint is shoulder pain. The history and physical exam for this patient include A. A detailed exam of vital signs and history. B. A rapid trauma exam of vital signs and history. C. A focused or pertinent trauma exam vital signs and history. Or D. A focused pertinent trauma exam and vital signs only. If you answered C, a focused or pertinent trauma exam, vital signs, and history, you would be right. The reason why this answer is for this question is our patient is alert and oriented. So we're going to do a focused, pertinent trauma exam. We're going to examine his shoulder. Then we're going to take some vitals and history. If you're wondering why it wasn't A, a detailed exam, remember a detailed exam is a head-to-toe. We don't need to do a head-to-toe because he's able to tell us that it's just his shoulder. B is not the answer because that's a rapid trauma exam and that's used for major trauma, unresponsive medical. And then D is not the answer because, once again, we have vital signs only. We don't answer only questions or we don't utilize that as an answer. Next question. Pale peripheral circulation will cause the skin to appear. A, pale. B, cyanotic. C, ashen. D, flushed. If you answered A, pale, you're correct. Remember, poor circulation, hypoperfusion, shock, inadequate tissue perfusion, blah, 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 blah. We always start pale, then we turn blue. Remember that. We always start pale, then we turn blue. Next question. A patient with profuse sweating is referred to as being A. Endometrious B. Diaphoretic C. Flushed D. Pleuretic If you answered B. Diaphoretic, you would be correct. The reason why it's that answer is that's what diaphoresis is, wet skin. Next question. Irregular respirations characterized by an increasing rate and depth of breathing followed by periods of apnea are called A. Chainstoke respirations B. Agonal respirations C. Eupnictic respirations or D. Ataxic respirations If you answer chainstoke respirations, you would be right. Remember, we just talked about this in the previous lecture. 
And whenever you see a question where the breathing is getting rapid and then you have periods of apnea, it's the periods of apnea that's your key. That's the Scooby-Doo cartoon. Hey, Shaggy, that's a clue. Boom, chain stokes. Always, always, always. Next question. Interventions for ataxia respirations include A, oxygen via nasal cannula at 15 liters per minute, B, supplemental oxygen via BVM, C, oxygen via non-rebreather mask at 2 liters per minute, D, oxygen via non-rebreather mask at 15 liters per minute. If you answered B, supplemental oxygen via BVM, you would be right. Remember, ataxic breathing is essentially agonal breathing, almost no breathing. So we're going to breathe for our patient, and then we're going to utilize a BVM or positive pressure device. CPAP is indicated for patients who, remember this is that Darth Vader mask that goes into, onto patients and pushes air into their lungs. So CPAP is indicated for patients who A, are hypotensive and have a, hard, have a marked reduction in tidal volume, B, have signs of pneumonia but are breathing adequately, C, have pulmonary edema and can follow verbal commands, D, are unresponsive and have signs of inadequate ventilations. The answer is C, have pulmonary edema and can follow verbal commands. For the most part, and I can tell you that it's not an EMT skill in California, but CPAP is something as a paramedic I usually only utilize for my pulmonary edema patients. So just try to remember it that way and you should answer the question correctly. During your initial assessment, a 62-year-old woman responds to painful stimuli only. Not good, folks. Her skin is pale, uh-oh, and cool to the touch, another uh-oh. She is breathing at a rate of 20 breaths per minute with good tidal volume. Okay, well, that's nice, but we got some abnormal skin signs there. You feel a carotid pulse. You should immediately A, obtain vital signs, B, apply oxygen, C, begin CPR, D, attach an AED. Your answer is C, or I'm sorry, your answer is B, oxygen. Remember, pale, cool, moist skin is indicative of shock. We can fix shock. We fix shock by providing oxygen. So if you see that test question, this is those always type of answers. Pale, cool skin, always O2. Shallow respirations, always BVM. Okay? All right. That does it for our questions. Uh, Remember, visit me on www.thepublicsafetyguru.com, and I will be uploading this very soon, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you.